Amen, guys. Well, uh, so encouraging to hear that we're officially a club at UW. Awesome. And uh, super grateful for uh, to Kim for making that happen. And uh, of course, uh, Jonathan and Xiaoshi making it happen over at Shoreline. So now we can say we have we are an official club over there too. Amen. Uh, but you know, the thing I'm most excited about today is uh, we're going to get to see Sarah's sister, Rebecca, baptized, uh, which is going to be so uh, moving. I mean, so many of us pray for our families uh, to, to become disciples. And I know that Sarah's just been thinking about this day since the moment she came out of the water. And now God's truly blessing her with uh, her sister becoming a disciple. Amen. You know, uh, this was a, a huge victory, not just for Sarah and the campus ministry, but in a sense the whole church because Rebecca is married. And, you know, we, we, uh, we had a, a great addition with Lisa getting baptized uh, not too long ago, um, but it's been a little while. And so what we did is in May, we switched up the midweek services primarily for the benefit of the marriage ministry. So we could really do teaching on what it's going to take to become shepherds and raise up and have the heart to be fruitful. And so our first midweek was all about fruitfulness. And here we are less than a month later. We've moved God and now he's moving the ministry and Rebecca's going to be getting baptized. I want to remind you of that phrase today. Move God to move the ministry. The title of our message this morning is Make Your Move. You know, there's a lot of times in life where we look around and we feel somewhat entitled to God making the first move. We're like, well, God, where are you? We pray, we go, well, God, if only you would make this clear. We go, well, God, I'm just waiting for you to show me a sign. And yet, so many times in the scriptures, that's not the case. God expects us to make the first move. He says, you seek me, you will find me. If you forsake me, I will forsake you. If you return to me, I will return to you. So much of God depends on how we move. And speaking of moves, tomorrow we have our Memorial Day picnic. And of course, it's our sending off service or sending off time for Courtney Smith. as She's going to be moving to Los Angeles uh, to specifically the Metro Heights region, and she's going to be leading the singles ministry down there. Wow. And so make sure that you're there. It was just one of the announcements that was missed, amen. But uh, there were so many announcements, Danny did a great job. Come on, Danny! But I want to talk this morning about making your move. Not looking to God, not feeling entitled to, to, to what God is going to do. I mean, God, God created you. God created the world. God sent Jesus to die on the cross. God's made a lot of moves. Now it's our turn. And I know you guys in the campus ministry appreciate rhyming, so I've done my best to make these rhyme, amen? And maybe I was a little inspired on my ride home yesterday listening to some old Lupe fiasco. But... Point number one, come close or be toast. Look over in Acts chapter 2. I assure you, I came up with the points before titling them. Amen. Amen. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 37, Peter wraps up a sermon, and this is how the people respond. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You know, we read this passage, and so many of us have read this passage a number of times, and we're so in awe of the number 3,000. We go, wow, about 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. Wow, that's, that's crazy. I put before you, there's something here that's even more crazy than the number 3,000. Look back in Acts chapter 1. Come on, Joe. In Acts chapter 1, of course, Jesus has now just ascended into heaven. And we read in verse 15. In those days, Peter set up among the believers a group numbering about 120. So at the end of Jesus' ministry, there's only about 120 disciples left. Now that's after three years of our perfect Lord and Savior, Messiah, the best preacher our world has ever seen. At the end of three years, there were only 120 disciples left. And then when you go to Acts chapter 2, we see in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, which is about 50 50 days later, it says they, who, the 120, were all together in one place. You see, they understood Jesus' final command of them in chapter 1 was, you've got to go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift my Father has promised, which was, of course, the Holy Spirit. So they knew, listen, we've got to come close or we're going to be toast. So they all go to Jerusalem and they come together to wait. In verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language was being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. And so right here, we see the 120 disciples are together. People are from all these nations gathering for this day of Pentecost. And right here, we see just 15 places Named, And then we jump ahead to the very end of Peter's sermon in verse 36. He says, therefore, let all Israel, no matter where you're at in the world, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Whether you were there at the crucifixion or not, he says, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You know, right here you got 3,000 people at least. Some scholars believe that present at this sermon was at least 100,000 Jews. Some scholars say uh, upwards of 300,000 Jews were in Jerusalem and heard this sermon. And so you got 3,000 people that are cut to the heart. And they go, brothers, what shall we do? Verse 42. They... After getting baptized, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. 
at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I put before you the number 3,000 is a pretty crazy number. But what makes this passage so crazy is the fact that these people didn't just get baptized and then added to the church. But the Bible teaches they devoted themselves. In other words, no one had to tell them to do it. Right. Yeah. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching the fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. I mean, literally, they leave their lives back home in those at least 15 different places, all nations under heaven, and they stayed in Jerusalem. The Bible says they were committed. They were devoted. In the Greek, they were addicted Dang. to the church, all on their own initiative. And of course, this led to them sitting at the feet of the apostles for the teaching, fellowshipping, taking communion, breaking bread, and praying. You know, Courtney and I were down in uh, Portland yesterday for the ICCM, and afterwards we were hanging out with the Lamones, and we met their nanny, and one of their nannies, her name is Andrea. And Andrea is a very sweet sister, never met her before. So we asked her a little bit about her story, and come to find out, she's from Vancouver, Washington, And she came down from Vancouver into Portland, which isn't that far of a drive. But she came into Portland to visit her aunt and uncle, Alfredo and Rosie Alanis. And when they got down there, or when she got down there, she spent some time with them. And inevitably, she runs into disciples throughout the city because she's hanging out with Alfredo and Rosie, who are in the church down there. And after meeting some different disciples in the church... She goes, you know what, I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about your church and studying the Bible. So they start studying the Bible with her. And at the discipleship study, she goes, you know what, I'm not going to go home. I'm just going to stay here in Portland on her own initiative. I'm just going to stay here in Portland. She stays in Portland. She becomes a disciple. She gets baptized. And I said, well, then you went home to get all your things? And she said, no, I just went to Goodwill and got a whole new wardrobe. I was blown away. And I was reminded of this passage. They literally leave everything back home. As Jesus commanded in Luke 14, 33, if you're going to follow me, you've got to give up everything you have to be my disciples. And they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go say bye to mom and dad. They didn't go feed the dog. They didn't go quit their job. They just stayed in Jerusalem. Why? Because it was that big of a priority on their hearts to seek first the kingdom of God. You know, here we are, 21st century. We got cars. We got contracts with our jobs. Things have changed. And we probably will look at this passage and maybe even get a little bit critical and question, well, why couldn't they devote themselves back home? Why would they have to stay in Jerusalem? Because there's just something special about having a physical fellowship Versus just Skyping into everything. That's a great point. And so they wanted to physically be together. Secondly, I think that this was an absolute obedience to Jesus saying, you've got to love each other. In fact, by your love one for another, all men are going to know that you're really my disciples. 
So how do you prove your love for somebody that you're not able to call or text or FaceTime or Skype in when you live in this country way over here? And so this was them saying, you know what? I've got to seek first the kingdom. I've got to be close to the disciples. And then thirdly, of course, I think this for obvious reasons was to protect them from the enemy, the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And they knew if I go home and I'm the only disciple there, I might last a little while, but eventually Satan's going to try to take me out. And you don't want to get attacked by the lion when you're all by yourself. It's better to do it when you're in a group. Amen. You know, I really think that this idea of togetherness is something that we have really forsaken in our day and age. I mean, just the idea of being unique and independent and uh, just, just individual on your own, do things all by yourself, it really has manifested itself in so many people's hearts and minds to, to the point where we actually think that it's normal because it's acceptable by society. And yet so often in the Bible, the Bible calls us to be together, to physically be together. That was the standard of the first century disciples, and it's got to be our standard for today. You guys with me here? You know, I so much appreciate sisters like Kim who, who initiate having these group quiet times early in the morning. Or Nicole having these group quiet times early in the morning. And it's just something so special when all of us can come together and be together and worship our God and give glory to God. Well, okay. They were together, but then what was the plan? I mean, what were they going to actually do together all day, every day? They got no jobs. They got no money. They're just in each other's faces all the time. What did that actually look like? I would be a little annoyed. So let's look a little bit closer. Okay, so what does it say here? Well, in order to meet the needs of all these now homeless people in the church, verse 45 says, they, the people living in Jerusalem, sold their property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. So everyone was taken care of. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing to look around a church and go, wow, God has given us everything we need to take care of each other. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So what was the plan? Was it just chaos? Everyone go do what you want? No, we're going to the temple courts. Why? We're not Jewish anymore because we got to go get all those other Jews. This was absolutely for evangelism. Secondly, they broke bread in their homes. So they go out evangelizing, and then they break bread in their homes. What were, what were they doing? They're bringing these Jews that they're meeting in temple courts, and they're bringing them into their home. And then it says, they had glad and sincere hearts. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. The third thing right here that was part of the plan is, we've got to make sure everyone's getting taken care of. And therefore, we can enjoy the favor of all the people. And then lastly, of course, and the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Well, how do you get added to their number? Well, if you go back to verse 41, it says those 3,000 were baptized and added to their number. So they're having daily baptisms in the church in Jerusalem. You know, this is incredible because every single disciple in the first century church understood this principle. We've got to stay close or we are toast. We go out there on our own and get independent and prideful and think that we got it we got it all going all by ourselves satan's going to be on the tack and it's not going to be all at once i mean when a flood comes into your home it it doesn't just knock down the front door and fill your whole house with water no it seeps in through the cracks and eventually that's what satan does he gets a little bit of worldliness in your life and before you know it your basement's flooded then your whole basement's full of water and then it's destroying your floors and your whole house is going to fall over you know we've got to make sure that we fill in the gaps And we don't allow Satan into our house. 
And we've got to protect each other in this sense. In Acts chapter 5, you see this idea continue. Maybe I can see that happening okay for the first week, the first month. But then what happens? Well, in chapter 5 and verse 12, it says the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in the Solomon's Colonnade. Now, where is Solomon's Colonnade? Solomon's Colonnade was a, a section of the temple. And it was a part, of course, that Solomon designed. And it was a part where people could come and congregate. It was for the public. And so all of the disciples would come together into the Solomon's Colonnade every day. And that was their meeting location. You know, I'm very excited to implement this idea into the campus ministry. Come the fall, we're going to implement Solomon's colonnades on the campuses. What does that mean? It means that there's just going to be a central location where people can all meet up, and there's going to be Bible studies going on, sure. There's going to be people having quiet time, sure. But really, they're going to be, it's going to be a spot where people can come and do schoolwork together, pray together, have discipling times, do all that kind of stuff. But it's just one central location where everyone can gather together. That's awesome, and I'm very excited about this. It's, it's really our first step toward getting organized. I mean, the ministry has grown so much over the last six, seven months that it's time that we start to get a plan. And so this is going to be step one. We're going to, we're going to start initiating these Solomon's Colonnades. We'll have a Solomon's Colonnade at Shoreline. We'll have a Solomon's Colonnade at UW. Amen? So the disciples can all come together and just spend that quality time together because we understand you got to come close or you're toast. Amen? Let's go to point number two. Follow the Spirit. So others can hear it. Whoa. Yeah, you know. Uh, look over in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. In verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the, Holy, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to the vision. You know, right here, it's 51 A.D., and Paul's out here again on one of his little missionary journeys. And for the first time in the book of Acts, it says in verse 10, Paul had seen the vision, but we got ready at once. Who's the author of the book of Acts? It's Luke. It's Luke. So this is where, in the book of Acts, Luke joins Paul on their expedition. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Luke. It's not really the point here. But the point is that Paul had a vision, and then we got ready at once. Nice. They're trying to get into Bithynia. They're trying to enter into different parts of Asia to continue to preach the gospel in Asia. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit is not letting them. They've got plans that they think are godly plans, and of course they probably are godly plans. But yet the Holy Spirit is not letting them. So what does the Holy Spirit do? It calls them to Macedonia. What is Macedonia? Well, number one, Macedonia is completely unchurched and unpreached to. There are no disciples in Europe at this point. So God was 
not just shutting the door on Asia, but we already had disciples in Asia. But he was trying to turn their vision and expand and stretch their faith to a whole new continent Nice in Europe. That's awesome. And of course, Paul has the vision, and we got ready at once, and everyone gets ready, and now they start preaching in Europe. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. You know, Luke stays with Paul until 58 AD, and on his final little trip to Jerusalem, he's arrested, and he's put in jail, and literally Luke spends the next eight years just digging into Paul's life and hearing Paul's message and writing the letters that you now read in the Bible. And Paul had a vision. And of course, Luke was inspired by that vision. You've got to understand that following the Spirit sometimes means following a man, a spiritual man that God is using, a spiritual leader. Sometimes our conclusion is lying within the leader. And so often God is answering your prayers through different opportunities that you have listening to spiritual leaders. You guys with me here? Yeah. And so Paul had the vision, but we got ready at once. You know, we had this crazy plan last summer, and we were going to start these blitz campaigns. And we're like, this, we're just going to try these blitz campaigns. It, it sounds crazy and rambunctious, but let's just go for it and see what God does. And so part of the, the Blitz campaign is that first week of school, every term, we're going to share with 2,000 people. That first term, when we did the Blitz campaign last year, we shared with almost 3,000 people. Nice. We did it again in the winter term, and we did it again this spring term. And during the spring term, during the week when we were having Bible talk, Delaney's walking around, and right in front of Starbucks, she meets this girl, Sarah. Hmm. And Sarah was... What? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sarah was busy at the time. Sarah was busy at the time. She couldn't make it out to Bible talk, but the lady got her number, and they set up some Bible studies. Eventually, Sarah comes on out to the Women's Day, and her sister Rebecca, too. And they're so moved that shortly after Sarah is baptized, and then Rebecca's so inspired that now she's going to get baptized this afternoon. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. But you know... What we need to understand is that God moves through spiritual leadership. And so you may not totally agree with the plan. It may not make a whole lot of sense to you. But at the end of the day, we've got to really trust our our, our leaders. If they're being spiritual, we've got to trust the plan is spiritual also. And that it's going to be of God. And that God can bless a spiritual plan. It may have looked crazy, but Delaney met Sarah. And Sarah reaches out to Rebecca, and now they're going to be sisters in the kingdom of God together. Let's jump ahead to verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went out to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate of the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the, uh, to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her, opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. <laughs> you know, right here, 
we see in Thyatira, there's a woman named Lydia. And of course, there's a lot of women that are getting evangelized right here, but Lydia responded. And Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth. Now, this, this color purple was a dye back then that came from this plant called the matter root. And it was very unique to that, to that area. So she, in a sense, made the most of the land and became an entrepreneur to start her own business. And she's, she's a dealer in this purple cloth. She's trading it. She's selling it. She's making a living. And we know she was influential, not necessarily because of you know, the fact that she was an entrepreneur and had her own business. But we know she was influential because at the very end here, in verse 15, it says, she persuaded Paul. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of people that have that sort of influence to inspire Paul to change his mind. But they're persuaded. And if you go to the end of chapter 16 and verse 40, Paul and Silas go to jail. When they get out, it says when they get out of prison, they go to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. Mm-hmm. So what do we learn? Lydia gets baptized, and her home becomes a house church where all the disciples would gather together. Mm-hmm. And so when Paul and Silas get out of jail, they know exactly where to go. They're Solomon's colonnade. They're going to show up and they're going to get encouraged by all the disciples. And then, of course, go on to the next missionary journey. That's awesome. You know, when you follow the Spirit, you just never know what's going to happen. What kind of friends you're going to make. Just like Paul would meet Lydia here. This is very important. I mean, in the first century, most women were just disregarded. In fact, Jews believed that it would be better in this time to burn the law than to teach it to a woman. In the Jerusalem Torah, in Sota 3 verse 4, it actually teaches this. They believed that according to Exodus 35-25, it talks about skilled women that were, that were uh, spinning cloth. They believed that the most skilled of women at the most, with the most potential in life at the very most, should just stick to spinning. So Paul right here, to meet this woman, a skilled woman, and then teach her the law, teach her the gospel, make her into a disciple, baptize her and her family, was a very controversial point in his ministry. It was so awesome yesterday, down at ICCM in Portland, Uh, Caesar's just doing such a great job with ICCM. And he and Debbie did a lesson together about Jesus and Paul and how they liberated women from the bondage of the world. And the treatment that the world gives to them. And really they, they emphasize how women need to be lifted up. And right here, the Bible names Lydia. I mean, she is clearly getting lifted up by the Holy Spirit right here. And I think the brothers need to really appreciate the sisters that God's put in their lives. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, we've got some amazing sisters all over the kingdom. Mm-hmm. We need to appreciate them. We need to encourage them and take them on dates. Amen? <laughs> we've got some awesome sisters. I mean, I've got an awesome sister as my wife right here. And I take her on dates every week. Because I value her. Because I want to encourage her. Because I appreciate her as a mom, as a woman's ministry leader, and as an awesome wife for me. And you've got to look around and see the sisters that God's put in your life and really cherish them and take care of them and strengthen them. And you know, nothing, nothing will strengthen you more than lifting the sisters up. 
I just made it up. <laughs> I just made it up. <laughs> no, I made it up this morning, but... I know it's corny, but you'll never forget it. It's true. You start to lift the sisters up, brothers. And you'll get some of these. Let's cherish our sisters. Amen? You know, Jesus did say, by our love for each other. And as we encourage each other, as we cherish and treat each other as holy in God's sight, the world's going to see the difference. And they're going to know that we are disciples. I've got a challenge for you. This week, pray to meet someone influential. Like Paul did, like Lydia, and share your faith with them. Amen? Amen. Point number three, merge into the summer surge. Oh. Look over in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, in verse 8, it says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Now, you've got to understand, back in the day, all the Jews worshipped God at the temple. And when they got exiled because of their sin, and they were dispersed literally all over the world, they still wanted to worship, but they couldn't travel all the way back to the temple. So they built synagogues, many little temples all over the place. And so by the first century, there are synagogues everywhere. Now the first century church, they did not worship in the temple. They didn't have a place to congregate. They didn't have a building that they bought or anything like that. And so what they would do is they would follow the leader. The leader would pick a synagogue. He would show up and he would preach. And if all the rabbis and the people in there would welcome him, that's where they had church that day. And if not, then they would just go somewhere else. And that's why they're jumping around from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue. Because they didn't own a place. But Paul still needed to preach to the people. Amen. And so they're there in the synagogue. And he's preaching this sermon. And let's see what happens in verse 9. Some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. You know, so many people that stop studying the Bible, that stop seeking after God, it's not because they can't. It's because they won't. They refuse. They see the truth of the scriptures. It exposes their sin. And they don't want to go any further. And so they publicly malign the way. The way, of course, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Publicly, they are not willing to live the life that Jesus calls them to live. So, what does Paul do? He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, I thought for a long time Tyrannus was a place, but Tyrannus is actually a person. It's, it, it, was, it was probably a, a rich guy who owned a school, and he was welcoming or he got converted, but either way, the disciples could show up there and have church at his place, and he had no issues with it. Now, I also learned that Tyrannus is actually the nemesis to the Incredible Hulk, but that's another story for another day. I'm kind of in this, like, I'm not even going to go down there. I'm, I'm just, like, I've been in this, like, superhero mode. I just saw Black Panther the other day. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's very interesting, though. They show up to the lecture hall Tyrannus. And God does some incredible things. In verse 10, it says, this went on for two years. So finally, they found a location that will allow them to stay there. And so they stay there for two years. And all the Jews and all the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, this is the province of Asia, Asia Minor. Currently, this would be called modern-day Turkey. And so they're going around and they're preaching. And in just two years, they evangelize all of Turkey, all of, all of Asia Minor. Is that amazing? That's hard I mean, one Bible talk right. 
in the lecture hall right. on campus Dang. evangelizes all of Turkey. You go, well, how big was Asia Minor? It's minor. <laughs> Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. It's over four times the size of the state of Washington. Whoa. And in just two years, every single person had heard the gospel. Just two years. You know, I so often just get vision for what it's going to be like when, when we start to evangelize all of Washington. Yeah. I mean, we've been here for about two years now, and uh, we've got a little ways to go. But, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Courtney and I went over to a Mariners game, and uh, we got free tickets from uh, Brother Peter, amen? And we're, we're there at the game, and it was so cool. There was a point where uh, I, I actually was, like, paying attention, and... I'm just not a big baseball guy. But yeah. the atmosphere is cool. And literally over in the corner behind home plate, they started the wave. And, and it was kind of like weak at first. And then, you know, they started over. You guys know the wave, right? Yeah. I would do it in here, but you guys look like you're paying attention. So that's good. And, and, and it gets a little stronger. It gets a little stronger. And before you know it, the whole stadium is doing the wave. Wow. And I mean, they did it for about 15 wow. minutes straight. Oh it's just going. The people behind us said, wait, we're, we're at Mariners games all the time. We've never seen anything like this. Wow. And I'm just like, woo! <laughs> and it hit me at one point. I go, wow, the day when we get to have church in the stadium. Wow. I mean, just for the welcome, we're going to do the wave. Wow. I mean, we're going to, all right, guys, the next 15 minutes, we're just going to do the wave. There's nothing cooler than all these people. <laughs> I mean, that was a cool wave, but the coolest wave I ever saw was when we went to the Coldplay concert last year. Yes. And the Seahawks stadium had 70,000 people in it. And the whole stadium did the wave for about 20 minutes straight. I mean, it only stopped because the, the, the Coldplay group came out and started doing some music. But I mean, it was just amazing. And I just think, God, oh, the, the vision, the unity, the disciples, what it's going to be like someday. You know, for us, God has called us to greatness. And it's really up to you. It's either going to be a summer slump or a summer search. The choice is yours. We need to have a great summer. Yeah. Not an alright summer. Not a regretful summer. But a great summer. A summer full of fun, fellowship, and of course, fruit to the glory of God. You know, my challenge to you is very simple. In Mark chapter 1, in verse 17, Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's the same command that he gave all the disciples at the end of his life in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. Go out and fish for men. Yes. If you take the come from come closer, oh, be toast. Yes. The, follow the, the follow from follow the spirit so others can hear it. And the me from merch. Come follow me. Oh. <laughs> Let's have an incredible summer. The choice is ours. Make your move. Nice. Amen. Come on, bro. That's awesome.